When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menes. It's our wrap of day four from the Lord's Test. As things stand, Australia started the day two for 130. They were dismissed for 279. And then England was set a target of 371, and they were four for 114 at stumps, needing a further 257 runs with six wickets in hand. Joining me to digest a, a scintillating and very controversial day's play is my co-host, Paul Dennett. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Manners. Um, I'm struggling a little bit because I, in addition to watching the pretty much the full day of play um, of the men's test, although towards the end I was sort of dozing off without realising it. I then made the decision to try to watch the women's game as well. And I watched um, a fair bits of the um, the women's T20, but none of it kind of went in. And the result is I'm a bit in a twilight zone, but I'll do my best. Um, while you bring up that fantastic uh, match, I did watch a bit of that too. An update on the women's ashes. So Australia won the first T20 match and therefore just need one more win to retain the ashes. They now have six points and um, they they. Got a tremendous four-wicket win over England off the second last ball with Beth Mooney, 61 not out. So the women's Ashes almost secured um, after two games, just a testament to how good that team is. Well, what did you think of the match? Well, I went to sleep finally um, thinking that England had a pretty decent chance towards the end of the England innings. But um, when I woke up and checked the score, before I checked the score, I just had this absolute certainty that Australia was going to have won. Uh, and when I saw that it was a pretty close one in the end, it didn't surprise me. This this Australian side, they just seemed to win from absolutely nowhere. Looked like a great atmosphere, really good crowd in um, at Edgbaston. Um, so, yeah, it was um, it was a lot of fun, I think. And for those fans of the Australian women's team, I interviewed um, fast bowling star Kim Garth on Friday Night Australian Time. So that is on the podcast feed. Just go back that if you... Go back to in the feed if you want an insight into how the Australian women's Ashes team is travelling. All right, Paul, now to Lords. Well, I mean, the, the big story of the day, um, you know, a lot of talk about the, the, the start catch, and we'll get to that later on. But I think the real image from today that will be burned in everyone's memories is of Nathan Lyon um, trudging out there with his, his torn calf to try and add a few more runs to the Australian total. Uh, he spoke after play and said, you know, there's a decent tear in his calf. He's shattered. He's speechless. And he will decide at the end of the match whether he, he stays in England at all, trying to, to stay in the series. Um, and he said, look, he's been very lucky. He's played 122 of 126 tests since he's been selected. So 
I guess he was kind of due for an injury. Um, but he did he did seem to raise his ire at the suggestion that he only went out to bat to try and get hit in the head and therefore a concussion sub could come in. He pointed out that he lost a mate um, who got hit in the head and he would never actually do that, go out there and try and get in, hit in the head. So, yeah, those suggestions probably uncalled for, but just heroic stuff from the GOAT. Oh, but, I mean, surely no one was suggesting that seriously. It was a kind of a an amusing thing to say, as in, uh, well, you know, pretty clever if he goes out and gets and happens to get hit in the head, he could get a concussion substitute. Uh, anyone who thought that he was actually going out with that intention um, is absolutely deluded. Of course he wasn't going out for that. Just, as I said, slightly amusing suggestion, but a nonsensical thing to say in seriousness. Yeah, well, Kevin Peterson said it seriously. Adam Peacock, who's a reputed um, sports journalist, sports journalist in Australia tweeted out he thought it was about getting a concussion sub. So, look, they were all way off the mark. I agree with you. I mean, no right-minded player would do that. We jokingly, I think, on the podcast said, you know, when he did his calf, he should have fallen over and pretend to hit his head. But, um, yeah, I mean, just no, absolutely never would happen. Well, apart from the fact that it's just a silly, a silly notion to say seriously, the practicality of it going out there – Players don't get hit that often, and when they do get hit, it's usually not um, uh, a concussion. It would require – it would be so obviously deliberate. It would be putting his health at risk. It would invite enormous controversy and um, opprobrium, um, not to mention that the doctor might then say, you're, you're actually fine. It's just it's, um, it's just a crazy idea. I, I just think it was a slightly amusing thing, but the idea that he would be doing that as a serious ploy um, is nonsense. All right, so back to the action at the start of play. Australia, as I said, started at two for 130, and they played really nicely in the first hour. They scored 53 runs for the loss of no wickets and were two for 183 drinks with Kawaja, 76 not out, and Smith, 31 not out. And at that stage, it looked like Australia were going to be thinking about declaring, you know, 450, 500 in front. But then after the drinks break, England changed their tactics. They bowled 98% of their deliveries were short balls and it, it paid dividends. They they got some wickets. Kawaja was out um, hooky or pulling off broad, caught down at fine leg. Uh, Smith was caught um, trying to steer one down to square leg for a single, got the top edge off Josh Tung and was caught by Crawley. Uh, Travis Head was caught in close um, by Joe Root defending a short ball off uh, Stuart Broad. And then Cameron Green was caught by Duckett um, on the boundary, hooking um, off Robinson. So you have to say, Paul, the short ball tactics worked. Yeah, they did. And it was, it was bizarre because after Australia had employed them the previous day, uh, with England trying to take them on and playing hot, you know low percentage shots and losing their wickets, in the opening overs of the short ball barrage, Smith and Kawaja uh, handled it easily. They um, ducked the odd one, uh, played controlled pull shots to, to, for singles to, to the others, and the, there was a kind of um, impression that, ah, this is how you do it. And if they keep on doing this, then after a while, they'll have to stop because they'll bowl themselves into the ground. And they're going along, admittedly, at a slightly lower scoring rate, slightly lower scoring rate than they would like, but they're doing it easily. And then all of a sudden, um, there was a drop catch. Then Kawaja got out. Then Smith got out. Then the whole team um, uh, collapsed completely. So it was a bizarre um, change. I suppose it highlights just 
how uncomfortable facing repeated short balls is, no matter how good you are. And even if the bowling is not the, the West Indies attack of yore, if it's a fairly medium-paced attack, along with Josh Tung, who's a little bit quicker than that, even players as, as high quality as um, Kawaja and, and Smith, who are well set, can eventually succumb to it. Yeah, you mentioned um, Travis Head was dropped on zero by Jimmy Anderson at Gully. That didn't prove costly because Joe Rooney in close took a fantastic catch diving to his left to dismiss Head for seven. And that actually made uh, Joe Root the highest um, catcher for outfield catcher for England. He went past Alistair Cook. So Root, um, that was his 176 catch. Uh, he took two more. So he's think- he's streaking ahead. I was actually referring to um, the drop catch by Johnny Besto, uh off. I think it was was it Kawaja? Um, yes, it's Kawaja. It was a tough chance, but it was another indication of how, um, yes, the, um, regrettably the the short ball tactic um, be- became effective. So I've got more to say on I think what the umpires needed to do, but maybe we can cover that off at the end of the Australian innings. Oh, I, I want to get into it, and it is hard to keep track of all the England drop catches in the series. Certainly, um, <laughs> that's something that I've been furiously writing down. Um, well, no, I mean the the one that the Jimmy Anderson one was worth worthy of talking about as well because um, I hope this is not true, but there were there have been signs in this match for the first time ever that Jimmy Anderson's looking a little bit on the older side. You know, he's um, hasn't looked all that penetrative with the ball. Uh, that was the second catch that he that he put down, and you'd be sort of thinking, well, he'll probably miss the next test because they are back to back tests. But beyond that, I'm not sure how eager they would be to rush him back in for the fourth test, especially if the pitches are going to be on the slow side. Yeah, I think when we were, had Dan Norcross on the show, he thought Jimmy Anderson might go one more season and finish in a blaze of glory next year in the English summer when they don't have the the cauldron of an Ashes tour. Um, an Ashes series. Um, yeah, I heard reports from Pete Lawler that um, that the England team, the fast bowlers, are pretty unhappy with the amount of time their team has been batting, and the fact that they haven't been able to get a full day's rest in this match has meant, um, you know, they've been up against it. And you know, when you're forty, you are going to feel that. I mean, the younger players probably not so much, but you know, Jimmy, that would really affect him. Yes, and also uh, it would be interesting to see. Uh, on the first day, he did have conditions to suit, albeit with a pitch that was pretty slow. Uh, if they could roll out the t- the typical type type of wicket that they have been for the last ten years in England for the for one of these Test matches, I still think then then he would come back into his own and still be a force. So I'm not writing off. I hope he does do what um, Dan suggested and does play on uh, and uh, retire at the end of next season. Yep. Indeed. So um, Australia scored three for 92 in the first session and then were dismissed after lunch for 279. Cameron Green hasn't had a great test match, has he? Um, You know, he's bowled all right. He's been unlucky, you know, wicked off a no ball. And we'll talk about the start catch. But, you know, a duck in the first innings, he made 18 off 67 deliveries. Um, He and Kerry put on a nice little partnership that got the lead up over 300. But, you know, he was hit in the head and then was out hooking, uh, pulling soon after. He didn't look very comfortable out there. He's been a little bit unlucky in some of his, not unlucky, but um, he, he's struggling to find that middle way in his batting, that he's either been so defensive that he's become becalmed, but yet when he, <laughs> when he plays the first sort of aggressive shot, he's often getting out off it. So he must be thinking he can't win. The shot that he got out on, I, off the bat, I thought, oh, that's gone for four. He's absolutely middled that. He was a little unlucky, I suppose, to pick out the fielder. Although, as they said in commentary, it's the sort of one 
hit it a few metres higher and hit it for six or get on top of it properly and hit it down for four. So, yeah, a little bit disappointing, but I, I still think burbling away there, he's going to emerge into a, a champion pretty soon. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, Australia all out for 279. Just for reference, um, Hazelwood was out with the score at nine for 264, and then Lyon and Stark put on 15. Now, I don't think looking at the scorecards that that 15 runs is going to matter in the wash-up. I think Australia should win pretty easily on the fifth day. But if it does go down to the wire and that 15 runs comes into play, well, it'll be one of the most storied uh, innings in Australian cricket. Oh, I thought it was tremendous um, what he did. And I, I, I thought it was so admirable and um, I, was, I was cheering him on the whole way. And, you, you, yeah, you're, you're probably right that 15 runs – 15 runs rarely makes a difference in um, in a test match. Most test matches are, are resolved by far more than 15 runs. And as things stand, England look like they are going to fall well short. You just never know. Um, England in the past have, obviously with Stokes in 2019, uh, looked like they were struggling and then have come from nowhere. So you just never know. But irrespective of that, it was a marvellous effort. And um, it was a bit... Uh, concerning the moment when um, Stark smashed one that looked like it had gone for six, but Ahmed uh, on the on as a substitute uh, did an, an incredible piece of fielding. He almost pulled off a catch, but he did that thing where he catches it over the over the line and throws it back in. And then they realised that they needed to get a single to get Stark on strike, and Lyon had sort of been walking down the pitch, and then he had to hobble the second half, and it looked like he might have actually exacerbated the um, the injury. Now, who knows whether he did or not, but that was a hard watch because he was really struggling there. I, I think this uh, emphasises what I said on the pod the other day. Two things. One, it's time to allow substitutes for uh, injuries. You can have proper scans and make sure that there's a legitimate injury. And again, I'm not saying this because I'm an Australian. I want Nathan Lyon bowling in the last day. I'd be saying this for England as well. Uh, I think that's the right thing to do. The concussion subs have shown that we can do it. Secondly, falling short of that, I think it's ridiculous that runners aren't allowed, that the, the notion that they stopped runners because the occasional person was asking for it when they were, weren't really entitled to, I'm sure they could have clamped down on that without stopping runners for legitimate situations. And I, I just think that um, if he wasn't allowed to be replaced, Lyon should at least have been allowed to have a runner. Yeah, I do agree on the runner thing. Nathan Lyon was asked about substitutes and he said he's not a fan of injury substitutes in test cricket. So the man himself does not yeah, want that to happen. That's usually a good sign. Whenever the cricketers don't want it, it tends to be the other way is the right way. You know, they don't want, they didn't want um, Christmas Day cricket. They don't want uh, white balls being able to be kept by the crowd. Man, as I'm sure if it had been up to the players, we wouldn't have DRS. Uh, we'd probably still have underarm bowling, actually. <laughs> I, tend, I tend to agree. They, it is difficult to get things over the line with the, the Players Association here in my experiences as a proponent of Christmas Day cricket and keeping the ball in the crowd. Anyway, different issues, different podcasts for that. Um, so now I want to put Baz Ball in the spotlight. And and just an update on Baz Ball and their attitude to press conferences. Two days in a row, the players have failed to face the music. This time they sent out their batting coach, Marcus Triscothic. And I'll say it again, you know, it's cowardly. I think it's a an absolutely abject performance from their their management to do that two days in a row. Uh, they can wheel out all the excuses they want, but uh, it's BS. And uh, they know it. They're just trying to dodge the issue because they know they're going to, if they lose this match, the blowtorch is going to be on them. But in, in the end, that's not the way it works. You've got to send someone out there and two coaches in two days is pretty pathetic. Um 
All right. On to the tactics, though, on the field. I mean, they say they're trying to save Test cricket. Uh, I don't think that was very entertaining, the way they bowled. It, it's not like when Australia bowls, they're bowling, you know, 140 clicks, um, bounces, you know, really exciting stuff trying to get wickets. England put a defensive field in. They bowled slow bounces, and they just tried to test Australia's patience. Now, I'm fine with that tactic, but don't then bang on that you're trying to save test cricket with baseball. Yeah, um, I'm fine with that tactic for a little while, but I think that the umpires actually should have stepped in because I agree with you. I, I don't think it was entertaining. And I, I think there's a concern that this is now sort of setting up the the way that both sides are going to go about it um, more often than, not more often than not, but quite often throughout the rest of the series. I think it's a concern that um, the pitches are too slow and there's not enough in them to... To, to give the bowlers some more, you know, more legitimate weapons. So the concern for me is that uh, maybe I'm mad and I know that the, the playing conditions have the two bounces and over limit per bowler, per, per batter, but they still don't supersede the laws. And the laws themselves say that the bowling of short pitch deliveries is dangerous if the bowler's end umpire considers that taking into consideration the skill of the striker by their speed, length, height and direction, they are likely to inflict physical injury on him or her the fact that the striker is wearing protective equipment shall be disregarded. Now, as is always the case with the laws, and sometimes because of some necessity, they're not written all that precisely. It's a very um, sort of uh, difficult to quantify when all it is is um, that they are likely to inflict physical injury on him or her. Now, I suppose one bouncer could inflict injury on a, on a player, um, even as a player as skillful of... As, as Steve Smith, but repeated bounces, even by bowlers that aren't at um, warp speed, I think eventually they did cross the likelihood threshold or get, you know, the, whatever that threshold is. That, you know, we've seen um, Stuart Broad cop a, a nasty one to the jaw. As you said, Cameron Green got hit. Um, I, I would say that if this, if this attack continues throughout the rest of the summer, it is likely uh, that someone is going to be injured. And you, again, you've got to... Um, disregard any um, physical uh, protection that the striker is wearing. There's that one. And the second one is <clears throat> the bowlers end up, I may consider that the bowling of short pitch deliveries, although not dangerous is unfair. If they repeatedly pass above head height of the striker standing upright at the crease. Now I didn't see every ball from side on. And I note that that is a different sometimes to the, the law where it's sometimes in their normal stance. This is when they're standing upright. But I reckon enough passed over the, the head that uh, they could have enacted that law when all you do if you enact that law is you um, give the um, the bowler a warning and a captain a warning and they say, if you do it again, you'll be off for the entire innings. It's like a, a repeated beamer. So if they'd, if they'd done that, walked up to the captain, he's bowled too many balls overhead height. He does it one more time. Um, or, you know, if, he, if he continues to do this, he's going to be warned. Uh, he'll be off for the rest of the game. I think that using one or both of the above laws, the umpires should stand up to this because, as you said at the start of this little um, segment, ultimately it's just not entertaining. And I think that it was a great pity for the, the Channel 9 audience, which would have been huge, Channel 9 on a Saturday night in, um, in, in Australia, that a lot of them were looking off. The bouncer after bouncer that they either duck or um, knock an easy single away. Eventually it got entertaining when the wickets fell, but I, you know, it's, it's not how I want cricket to be played regularly. Yeah, and it's also massively hypocritical from England. That's my issue. I don't I, – I see your point around the laws of the game, and I totally agree with you, but um, 
I just think they're massively hypocritical from this England side to do that. It's definitely a different tone to the way Australia uses the short ball. Australia uses it aggressively to get wickets. And although England got wickets, I think they were more sort of preying on Australia's uh, frustrations, almost like a spinner bowling wide of leg stump um, with a setting of field on the leg side and waiting for a batter to make a mistake. So, as I said, if you want to play that way, that's fine, but don't claim to be saving Test cricket because then you're just looking like an up, absolute Muppet. Um, I, I think that uh, I agree it wasn't entertaining. I agree it probably is more entertaining when the Aussies do it, but just because the Aussies are faster, um, I, I, think, I, I think it's a long bow to draw to say it's fine when the Aussies do it because they're a little bit quicker than when the, than when the English do it. I think it's fairly equally un- unentertaining when both sides do it. But I still think that taken as a whole, in the entire time of the McCullum captaincy, their side, uh, the McCullum coaching, their side has played more entertaining cricket um, than any side that I've ever seen before. So I, I think that, yes, it wasn't so entertaining that little bit, but I just don't think you can then write off their whole method. Yeah, I'm writing off the whole method. This Ashes is going to expose it. What? No, 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 no. That you've switched again. You, you, you're now talking about whether it's going to win or not. I, I'm saying I've made a legitimate point there, saying they have been playing entertaining and in an entertaining way, but they have maybe for a, an hour or two not been so entertaining, but just as what Australia has done. And I need you to respond to that without just sort of a, a sweeping statement. Okay, well, I, I stand by my original point that, you know, it's all well and good to say you're going to entertain, but then it came down to it and they decided we're going to go negative and bowl boring lines with boring fields. And it's different to Australia because they didn't have the catches in like Australia does. They were just hoping for mistakes. And, yeah, I yeah, I just don't just don't think it's entertaining. Sure, they've okay. batted aggressively. They've, bat, you know, scored at 4-5 and over sometimes. But Australia scored at 4-5 and over for a lot of their first innings. So... I, I just, yeah, wild claims. No, but look at what they did in Pakistan, that they were extraordinarily entertaining in a way that no side has ever been on those sorts of pitches. The Australians weren't. Now, that's not a criticism of the Australians. They won the series. They played good, hard cricket. But it was an absolute breath of fresh air and something that had, that had never been done um, before. And I think that has been the trend of what they've done. You can't write off their whole method as a sort of a, a philosophy of entertainment based on a couple of hours in one day when you that when they've been playing this way for over a year, well, I am. I just don't think it's going to stand up into to the heat of an Ashes series, and that to me is the true test. And Shaw was entertaining. Shaw was entertaining in Pakistan, but I don't care about that. I care about the Ashes. Care about this series, and I think that's what England fans care about. Thank you for conceding the point. <laughs> we got there in the end. <laughs> uh, so at the end of um, the innings, the best figures: Stuart Broad four for sixty-five. Can't keep a good man down. He loves Ashes cricket. So as I said, Australia all out for 279. England need 371 for a famous victory. This wrap's going for a while. So we're going to take a quick break and then look at the England reply. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menes. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. And it's now time to look at England's reply, chasing 371. They were four for 114 at stumps and a a scintillating start by the Australian bowlers. Zach Crawley 
was out in the third over, caught down leg side, flashing it a wide one. Alex Carey took a good catch, and Mitchell Stark got the first wicket. And then in the fifth over, an absolutely unplayable in-twinging Yorker from Mitchell Stark, cleaned up Ollie Pope. He got a couple of good seeds this series, and he was out for three, and that left England two for 13. And the ball was swinging around for Stark. Oh, a magic ball that he got Pope with. And um, when he bowls like that, he's just unplayable. And, uh, you know, I said I wouldn't have picked him in the test. Um, and he, he's kept, he keeps on improving throughout it. So congratulations to him. Um, that was a, a wicked ball that he got Pope with uh, in, a, in a pretty scintillating spell of bowling by the Aussies. Most certainly. And in that, there was, I think there was almost a half a chance of, Tough one went past Green at Gully in the first over. So they were creating chances. Zach Crawley looked very disappointed when he um, got out. Um, also, also Ben Duckett survived a review. He was given out LBW off Mitchell Stark, but then upon referral, it looked to be missing off stump. Um, that was incredible. That I thought that was out live. Um, and then on replay, it was comfortably missing off stump because that's how much Stark was suddenly moving it. It was just um, that, yeah. That, I, I don't blame the umpire for giving that out. I didn't think a ball could move that much in that short space. In that short space. Yeah, it was uh, he was bowling really well, Stark? And like you live, I thought it was out, but you were up, it's pretty quickly when that replay came up. You were like, oh no, that's that's going to miss off. So he survived. It was, it was, I think it was umpire's call on impact in the opposite way. Like normally it's umpire's call on impact when it's moving into line. This was umpire's call on impact when it was moving away from line. And by the end, it was um, a green light. There was also a point made, I think by Pete Lawler again, that England refused to take the second new ball. And looking the way Australia was able to swing it, that might have actually cost them a few wickets. Um, so, yeah, I was puzzled by that. Although I think it maybe Edgebaston kind of, um, crueled them to, for doing that because when they didn't, when they eventually did take it at Edgbaston, there was kind of those 10 overs where Cummins and Lyon seemed to find it, you know, maybe maybe before the lacquer had worn off, it just seemed to really assist the side. So they might have been thinking, well, it's towards the end of the innings. We don't, we don't want a repeat of that. But probably in hindsight, they could have taken it. The score was two for 13 when Joe Root walked out to the crease and Root and Duckett got the score to 41 and then there was an over of Cummins' brilliance. He had Root caught by Warner at first slip, a, a searing short ball that that jumped on Root and he fended it away to Warner. Good catch from Warner. It was travelling and Root was out for 18 and massive wicket and a terrific delivery from Cummins. What an over. I mean, that's one of the best overs ever bowled in the Ashes because, the yeah, I think he hit Root before that and the ball that got Root out was, was wicked. And then... Uh, poor old Harry Brook comes out. Uh, actually, Cummins drops him. Harry Brook sort of drives at one and gets it uppishly straight, flashing past Cummins. So he could have taken a, a wicket then. And then next ball, he bowls the Cummins ball. Like he, someone should put a compilation together of those now. There's there's probably seven or eight in Test cricket where he has bowled the the quintessential perfect delivery, the one that pitches and looks like it's going to be probably hitting leg stump straightens and takes the top of off stump and it's just absolutely unplayable. Um, certainly not something that Harry Brook, decent player though he is, was ever going to get a bat on. So Brook was out for four off three deliveries, two wickets in the over for Pat Cummins. And you're right, 
it's it's Cummins when he gets it right. It's his sort of natural angle of delivery. Make you know it's into the batter, and then it just straightens. We saw the one that got Joe Root at Old Trafford last summer. Uh, sorry, last tour in 2019, and that was another peach. Too good for Brook. Um, so at that stage, England four for 45, and in licorice all sorts. But then Stokes and Duckett shepherded them to stumps. Four for 114. Ben Duckett is 50 not out of 67 deliveries. Ben Stokes, 29 not out of 66 deliveries. Clearly the danger man will get there. But just before stumps, just as the players were probably thinking about dinner, Ben Duckett played – what sort of shot would you describe it as off um, kind of off Cameron Green? It was like a an uppercut, but it went, it went to fine leg. I mean, he looked totally out of control with the shot. And then Mitchell Stark – dashing around from fine leg, took a catch. It all looked good. Duckett was walking off, but then the replay went upstairs and it appeared when Stark landed, the ball had touched the ground. How do you see this one, Paul? Well, firstly, any situation that makes me have to look up that badly written law annoys me because it reminds me again of that. My overarching thing is, that was a clean catch, and if the laws had been written properly, it would have been out because he caught it. Like he, there's no doubting about that. He didn't. Um, there's no problem there. However, I think that the way that the laws are brackets poorly written at the moment, I think the umpire actually made the correct decision, and that's unsatisfying to me. And I think it's unsatisfying to any cricket fan because I think you know it, it was a catch, but. The way that the law is written, and by the way, there are two relevant clauses to the law, which they have not even given us the courtesy of putting one above the other. So that means that when the casual person looks at them, you, you, you kind of get these people always quoting one clause or the other and not both. Because in the middle, they digress into saying that if the ball hits a tree um, in the, <laughs> the field, and then there's, there's a rule about what happens if the ball hits a, an internal obstruction. Like, God, forget that. Um, but anyway, so basically the two relevant sections of the law are that one, um, if the, the um, if even if the hand holding the ball is touching the ground, that's okay. And as I understand it from the playing conditions, that is meant to be that if the hand is palm up and you have caught the ball, there is an awareness that maybe a blade of br- grass will be brushing the ball, and that that's okay. Now that's not the case here, but I just say that to sort of um, to, to sort of make that point. So that's why some of the previous catches have been given out. But then they say that that the act of making a catch shall start from the time when the ball first comes into contact with the fielder's person and shall end when a fielder contain, obtains complete control over the, both the ball and his or her own movement. And that's, I think, the, the point where, at the point where Stark, having completed a, a legitimate catch, then kind of was hitting, heading towards the ground, he, helped, he kept his palm face down and allowed the ball to slide along the ground. Now... Was he out of control in the sense that he was wobbling and bouncing all over the shop? No. But did he have complete control such that at that point, if you'd been able to stop him and say, hey, um, p- please um, put both hands behind your back, he wouldn't have been able to do it because he wasn't in complete control yet. And I think for that reason, sadly, it was the right decision to um, award it as a non-catch. But I think that they have to look at the law and make it so that this doesn't happen again. 
I totally agree with you. You said during the World Test Championship final that you actually think the catching law should have images alongside it, so there's no doubt. So, you know, they put it in the in the law book. If, you, if your hand is face down, if that's not out, put it in there, and then all the players know exactly how they have to catch the ball. Don't leave it ambiguous and open to interpretation the way it is at the moment. Um, uh, Erasmus, the third umpire, did send a message to the media box saying the reason it was given not out was because he thought Mitchell Stark did not have control of his body, which I think is just ridiculous. He absolutely had control. What should he have done? He was running at full full pace to catch the ball. Um, I just think that's a, a woeful interpretation of the game. And to what? all the – go on, sorry. You said you completely agree with me. I said the opposite to that. Um, I said that – No, no, I agree with you about the, the laws needing to be okay. tightened up. Um but- I think the thing is, the word complete is the is the operative word there. Because control, you could argue that, yes, he wasn't out of control. It wasn't like he was tumbling down a hill and bouncing from tree to tree. He was in a sort of a, um, a not uncontrolled dive. But he didn't have complete control in the same way that if I'm standing still and you say to me, please pour me a glass of water, I'll pour you a glass of water. If you'd said to Stark, can you please pour me a glass of water? He'd say, I shall. I just firstly have to control Get my up. body currently sliding along the turf i think that's where and I, I can't blame erasmus for that interpretation because i think that is the right interpretation as far as the laws are written but it's an unsatisfactory and wrong way that the laws have been written because i don't think a catch like that should be being the sort of catch that gets struck down i just think when you look at the say the cameron green catch in the world test championship final and the steve smith catch in the first innings of joe root uh, I think Mitchell Stark was way more in control of his body. All didn't touch the ground in the same way. They touched the ground with the palm up um, and the ball might've been touching a blade of the grass. I think that's the, that's where it comes to back to that earlier course. Yeah. Well, but I think the Indian fans would disagree with you about the Cameron Green one. And, that, and that's where I think the problem is. I think what you said in the world test championship final is spot on. They need photos. They need to make it unambiguous, very clear, whatever, whatever the way they want to go. Um, but you, you can't tell me that on another day, a third umpire gives that out. I mean, oh, I, I, oh, for, for years, I reckon that would have been given out. You know what they should do? They should have a, apart from anything else, have a line at the end of the law that says, Great catches are a wonderful part of cricket and uh, in and of excluding all the above, uh, this law should not be seen as a way to strike down catches that everyone feels are good. Uh, I, I feel everyone feels are legitimate. Um, something expressing it in those ways. So the umpire could say, yeah, um, that was a catch. Let's just move on. Agree. And uh, look, I, you know, I've been, uh, the, the English fans are driving me nuts on Twitter. Maybe I need to get off Twitter. Maybe I need to just get off social media during the Ashes because um, they 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 are really um, lunatics. And um, you know, I, I said that that was that was ours. And you know, I will just point out that Marcus Triscothic said he thought it was out. Faf Duplessis said he thought it was out. Trent Copeland said he thought it was out. Michael Vaughan said he thought it was out. So all you one-eyed, arrogant English fans, um, lay off. That's all I'm saying. Uh, lay off. All I'm um, saying. And I agree with you, but no, no, I don't agree with you that they're lunatics. I agree with you that it's a legitimate arrogant. thing. <laughs> it's a legitimate thing to say that that should have been out. But I think that if you get an umpire's, if you get a test of the laws and playing conditions and you get those four that you named and they can work together and get their result and compare it to Erasmus's, Erasmus is going to beat the four of them combined. I'm going to trust the umpire rather than ex-players. 
as usual, that's that's pretty much spot on for the way you view the game. Um, well, in the same way that I'd, I'd rather have um, Faf Duplessis facing a fast bowler than I would Maria Erasmus, I'll, tra- I'll, I'll take Maria Erasmus, who is um, specialised in the laws of the game, over Faf Duplessis, who's probably never looked up this law in his life. I don't know. I reckon um, three, well, two former international captains and two very experienced cricketers pretty much know how the catching law works. Um, but I just reckon that four international, four international umpires would actually be better batters than the um, uh, by the same logic, Erasmus. And if you got um, Billy Bowden out there, yeah, that'd be they'd get more runs than um, um, than Faf. <laughs> Billy Bowden was the worst umpire I've ever seen. I think. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just think it goes back to our conversation about the ambiguity around the law. Um, yeah. And 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 you know, I see the MCC uh, committee. You know, I saw them swanning around Lords. Uh, you know, drinking champagne in the egg and bacon ties. You, they've been there all week. Why aren't they out the back sorting this out? Absolutely. That's an excellent point, and it, it it shouldn't be hard. They should be able to they should be able to insert, uh, fix it. Um, maybe not within a test match, but surely, surely, shortly after test match, they could get uh, a hookup of all the experts and just say, right, we have to clarify this. Let's do it. Surely, after the World Test Championship final was marred by a catching controversy, uh, that should have been reason enough to do it. The the showpiece test match of the cycle, and no action was taken afterwards. Again. It's sitting on their hands and, um, you know, it's frustrating. So that was the controversy to end the day. So Duckett survived, would have been a huge wicket because that means, you know, Johnny Bairstow would have been trudging out there um, either at the end of play or to start to uh, the fifth day. But instead, Duckett's 50 not out, Stokes 29 not out. I still think Australia, you know, very, very strong position. When you think Stuart Broad is only two wickets away, um, so Australia would be into the tail with, Mitchell Stark and um, bowling thunderbolts at them. I'm pretty confident Australia can get the job done, but obviously Stokes is the 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 X factor. I mean, he's someone who could score 120 not out and lead England to victory. Yeah, I think England will lose. Uh, there might be a point where Australia could get a little bit nervous because these things happen. Uh, you know, funny things happen on final days, and it was a little bit that way before. Um, before Smith took that great catch on the final day of the World Test Championship final where the pitch was looking flat and uh, I think that the odds at that stage would have been starting to have India really coming into a, a chance. People always, I don't know, tend to overestimate the prospect of a chase being successful. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if after, at some point, England put on a partnership and then the the feeling is, oh gosh, this could happen. But they kind of almost need everything to go right um, for it to happen. And But if the pitch flattens out, and they do get a partnership, um, it could get exciting. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. They did it a few times last summer, of course. But, yes, I think Australia are strong favourites from this point. The 257 needed for England. Um, I guess the, the danger is, you know, someone like a Bairstow or a Stokes in particular can just smack away at one end and carry the tail. But it's a long way to go. I'm very confident Australia, I hope, will be 2-0 up by about lunchtime. Would be nice, Paul. Early night for us. Pat, we could record our wrap straight after play, and then off to bed nice and early. Yeah, that would be good. Um, and then we've got what three days after that, the, the third test starts. As um, as much as I love the back to back entertainment, I do wish they could sp- the world could allow them to space it out a little bit more because it's the sort of series that you know if they if they after this if there could be a, a county game and a little bit of time for everything to breathe, it is really taking hold. I've watched the back pages of the England newspapers. It's getting 
you know, much more attention than cricket normally does. Uh, and it's a, it's a pity that it's going to be over so quickly. Indeed it is, but uh, our podcast continue. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Cricket Unfiltered. If you want to support the show, there's all sorts of links in the show notes. You can join our Patreon. You can come to our live show or you can rate and review the show. There's also lots of great uh, old episodes in the catalogue. So if you fancy a good interview, have a look through for Menna's Masterclass and also Dennett's Deep Dive, Paul's look at uh, cricket history, especially broadcasting. You love broadcasting of cricket history. I love cricket. I love history. I love broadcasting. But most of all, I love the history of cricket broadcasting. <laughs> what a great way to end the podcast. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back after day five. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.